All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks. That's a commodities futures uh, newsletter, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? We have special introductory offers uh, for all of these newsletters. If you'd like to take advantage of that first time, one time, only time offer, you can call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426. That's Claudio Bossi, 718-457-1426, or you can learn more about those at miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com. We have a lot of other material there as well that you may have find of interest on the markets at miningstocks.com. Well, Chen Lin in particular has had a phenomenal track record. He's, uh, uh, we've mentioned it many times before, he was able to turn $5,400 in an IRA to over $1.1 million. That's over a stretch from January 2003 through April of this last year. So we like to associate ourselves with people who are successful. That's why Chen is a business partner of mine, and he will be talking to you here on this show in just a few minutes from now. Uh, of course, we do provide some, a, a lot of other uh, websites for you to look at as well. Uh, jayswatchlist.com is one in which uh, you might want to take a look at. Those are companies there that, I, uh, that are on my radar screen, companies that I'm looking at for possible inclusion into this newsletter into the future. Um, I just want to thank each of you for listening to this show. We've, uh, uh, we've had a very successful run here. We are now, uh, by a considerable margin, the top show on the uh, Voice America Business Channel. And so we want to thank each of you for listening and for telling your friends about our show. Uh, we want to thank, uh, most of all, our sponsors who make this show commercially viable. They are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Solid and Gold Corp., Dasha Capital, Richfield Ventures, 
Gold and Minerals, Clifton Star, Silvercrest Mines, Duncan Park Holdings, and Swiss America. Those are the sponsors for the first show, hour of this show. Uh, Swiss America is a company that you should learn more about. Uh, they have some very interesting trading uh, methods for gold and in and out of numismatic coins. And if I have time, I'm going to mention a little bit more about that in the wrap-up section of today's show in the second hour. This week, our, our featured guest is, again, uh, our, uh, Professor Lawrence Kotliff, who was with us briefly last week. Uh, he's agreed to come back on the show this week because we simply did not have enough time last week to pass along the most essential things that he had to tell us. He, last week, Professor Kotlikoff reiterated on our show what he had said a week earlier on Bloomberg Television, namely that our government, both the Clinton administration and the Bush administrations, actually came right out and lied to the American people by suppressing the real and very horrible position of our, of our nation's uh, fiscal situation. Actually, when you uh, run a present value of future claims against the U.S. government, according to Professor Kotlikoff, the indebtedness of our country is something like $202 trillion compared to something more like $9 trillion, which is what the government is claiming. When Professor Kotlikoff and a colleague from Berkeley uh, College uh, tried to get the Clinton administration to come clean with the American people and tell them the condition that we were really in, uh, the Clinton administration uh, suppressed that information, and the Bush administration did much the same thing. Uh, in its term as well. Both uh, both administrations trying to make the American people believe that they have worked wonders and that they were doing something very wonderful with their economic policy. Well, nothing could be further from the truth, unfortunately. Uh, and to, today I want to ask Professor Kotlikoff to summarize uh, this financial fiscal nightmare, but also he has some ideas, both from a policy perspective as well as from an individual perspective, with respect to what we should do, what we as individuals can do to uh, protect ourselves against the carnage that is most likely to come into the future. And, I, and I'm sure Professor Kotlikoff hopes that policies will be implemented to avoid the worst of the, of the situations uh, going forward. Um, well, I am absolutely convinced that investors need to own gold and possibly other tangible assets as well to protect themselves against the, uh, the difficulty to come. And I know that Chen Lin, who is with me now, agrees that we must own gold. Um, as we see the lives of politicians exposed through the financial failures, we're, we're going to have to have real money. We can't have the paper money, which is really uh, has no real value, and, and I think that's going to become increasingly clear to Americans and is becoming increasingly clear around the globe right now to people uh, who are able to think outside the box, who are not, uh, who are not uh, boxed in to their thinking by the establishment, by the propaganda we hear day in and day out in our mainstream media. In just a few minutes, I will be talking to Mike Hoffman. He's the president of Crocodile Gold Corp. It's a new gold producer in Australia that I have compared in my own mind to a very successful pick in my newsletter, named, namely Allied Nevada. Uh, Crocodile's price has fallen from the levels that I first recommended the stock, and uh, the company did pro provide some uh, uh, quarterly earnings reports uh, last week. So we're going to ask uh, President Hoffman uh, about those uh, earnings and uh, let him comment on the company, um, its startup issues, and going forward what the prospects for this company might be. Uh, also, um, uh, in the second hour, I will be talking to a junior exploration company that I hold in high esteem, and that company is uh, uh, producing or will be exploring and developing. It's called Richfield Ventures uh, in British Columbia. Well, for now, I have with me my good friend and colleague and partner, Chen Lin. Um, so, Chen, uh, welcome again to back to our show. I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. Good to have you back. Thank you, Jay. 
Um, let us uh, just tell our listeners a little bit what your thinking is on the market. We've seen the, the Dow is down pretty strong. We're seeing a lot of weakness in the equity markets lately, but you know, gold was seemed to be down earlier in the day, but it shot up to, oh my goodness, it was up to $1,235 or something like that earlier today. What are your thoughts on gold right now, Chen? Yeah, I'm extremely bullish on gold. Uh, generally, in January speaking, August is the weakest month of gold. Usually, gold bottom in August, and September gold will start to rise because all the jewelry makers will prepare for Indian New Year, Christmas, and Chinese New Year. So, uh, natural for them to buy a few months in advance and then to make those jewelry. So they don't want to buy like a long time, you know, in a year ahead because gold fluctuates a lot. So that's a natural buyer coming in. And then usually in September, gold starts doing very, very well. So I'm very encouraged. We are getting close to the end of August, and the gold is getting close to all-time high. That's a wonderful thing. Well, indeed, it, it seems to be. It was really amazing today when we saw gold shoot up the way it did uh, on weakness early in the session. And gold up very strongly, and I'm looking at the screen now, and the Dow is down 88 points. It had been down over 140 today. The sec- equity market is extremely strong. Chen, what do you see generally in the equity market, and are there a couple of sectors that you really, that you really are very bullish on besides gold? Yes, uh, I see that the equity market is very weak, and summer is low volume, you know, the, the, it's up and down. People are trading very heavily on technical side, and then we have those Hindenburg omen all the time because the Fed artificially pushed interest rate very low, and then people just rush to utilities for the yield because the yield is higher than the 30-year bond, which is amazing. So, uh, because I think the market completely, there's a lot of dislocation of this market. So there's a lot of sectors, quite a few sectors I like, actually, outside gold. Uh, one sector, for example, is pretty obvious, is agriculture sector. Uh, in China, I've been reading the news, the, 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 the vegetables, okay, the, those food and vegetable price, they shoot up by 50% in one month. It's not a wow. year, one month. Okay, some vegetable, it just... And uh, you know that you don't talk about those like some specialty, you know things like garlic or so ginger root. Those are shoot up like a thousand percent in a few wow. months. So th- those are uh, because all the flooding, all the high heat, uh, make uh, you know vegetables uh, oh, oh, as, as well as the other agricultural product uh, production much weaker than plants. So and then the, the supply is limited, going down, and demand actually keep going higher. So there's a huge dislocation there. And then you come up with another news is BHP is buying potash. That's actually China just um, just mentioned over the weekend. They said they want to join the bidding war, which I, I doubt China can win the bidding war because the Canadian government probably wouldn't allow it. You know, just mm-hmm. like China lost uh, uh, real Tinto, you know, before they tried to invest in real Tinto, the Australian company. They got, you know, they got got pushed out by the government. So I think Canadian government will do the same. So China is only actually only one way. Uh, to do it is to build, uh, to finance a potash mine, its own potash mine. So that's why I'm very hard on two uh, Africa potash play because mm-hmm. Africa is China's favorite. China loves to invest in Africa, and then those are very good, uh, high quality, low cost potash mines. So Interesting. Both, well, Chen, both. you talk about these companies in your newsletter, and people can avail themselves to this newsletter with a special. Uh, introductory price, uh, so I would encourage people to give Claudio Bossi a call at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. 
718-457-1426. Chen, before we go on to the next sector, we're going to be talking uh, to uh, Mike Hoffman um, at um, Crocodile Gold in a couple of minutes, and I know you want to stick around with us because you might have a question or two for Mike, but are there any other sectors? I think you're, you're pretty bullish on oil, too, though. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm only bullish on oil for the long run. Right now, it's, uh, oil looks like it may break down here. Uh, so I'm only focused on land-based uh, oil driller. Okay, so the land-based usually are lower cost, low capex, and then because their cost is more like $20 or $30, so they can tolerate you know, the oil drop. So that's what I like, and then you know, the company can, can potentially hit a home run, hit a big, big well, like the March. Uh, resource, which, you know, actually I increased a little bit, holding a little bit today using the weakness, because, you know, they if they can hit as they plan, you know, they're going to hit a major, major well that can potentially, you know, with next two well, they can triple their production or quadruple even, then uh, they are trading at below one-time cash flow. Uh, wow. For, for energy company, that's incredible. incredible. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting, Chen. I know you come up with, uh, with uh, you're really a value player. You also look at uh, some technicals, but you really look at values, and when you can find things that are extremely undervalued like that, you like to bring them to the attention of your readers. I want to thank you again, Chen, for being with us. And you're going to stick with us, right, as we talk to Mike Hoffman in just a minute? Right, sure. Okay, good. So, folks, don't go away. We're going to be talking to Mike Hoffman. He's the president of Crocodile Gold. We'll be right back. Don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Solid and Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more. 
Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Dasha Capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals, giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk. Rare earth elements are used in many industries, from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green-tech. Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, some radio shows have sponsors that have very little to do, um, that is, the things the sponsors do, the, their companies do, have very little to do with the content of the shows. That certainly is not true of this show. In my very soul, I know that gold is money and that it's price. Uh, to the extent that it is not manipulated, is a purveyor of truth. And even though I believe the price of gold has been managed for some time by policymakers, ultimately the laws of nature will, and I think are now, in fact, prevailing. And as we will hear from Professor Kotlikoff later in today's show, America is already essentially a bankrupt country. So America is in deep trouble, even though you won't hear that from our so-called leaders as Professor Kotlikoff noted last week, both the Clinton and the Bush administration suppressed the truth with respect to America's real fiscal condition uh, to make themselves look better. But uh, that, that doesn't change reality. Uh, I do think that we could see a stronger dollar relative to other currencies and even possibly relative to gold in the short term, given my deflation views. However, what we are seeing is the real price of gold over the last number of years rising very dramatically, and that's very good news for gold mining. We're seeing gold mining profit margins with the established producers improving very, very dramatically and seeing some very strong profits from the, from the companies that have been around for a little while. Well, one of our sponsors on this show that I like a lot and have recommended for purchase uh, of their shares in, uh, to my own subscribers in J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks is Crocodile Gold Corp. Crocodile Gold trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol CRK and on the U.S. over-the-counter market under the symbol CROCF. 
it last traded, I didn't check it today, but earlier today at the start of the day's market, it was around a dollar six, I think, in U.S. funds. So there are just under about 145 million shares outstanding, which gives the company a market cap of around 150 to 155 million. I'm really happy to have with me Mike Hoffman. He's the president and chief operating officer of Crocodile Gold. Mike's been with us on this show a few times before. He is a professional mining engineer with over 25 years of experience in mine operations, projects engineering, and corporate development. And he recently served in senior executive positions at Crowflight Mines, uh, Minerals Inc., Gold Corp., Desert Sun Mining, and Yamana Gold Corp. Mike, it's really good to have you back on the show again. Uh, thanks for having me again, Jay. Mike, I want I want you and our listeners to know that um, you know I that I have also with me here our stock picker extraordinary Chen Lin, um, and Chen may have a question or two for you later on. But I want to stress the fact that uh, to our listeners that Crocodile Gold has just actually started producing gold in Australia, and uh, I would also like to stress that there are invariably. Uh, difficulties when mining companies start up. I mean, it's not, it's very unusual uh, for a mining company to start producing and immediately produce uh, the amount of gold at the cost they're projecting over the long life of a, of a mine. So I say that, Mike, because I noted last week um, uh, your company did announce a $5.3 million loss for the quarter ending June 30th. Uh, as an experienced investor, that doesn't trouble me, but uh, I'm just wondering if you could just perhaps explain to our listeners um, what some of the issues are, the startup issues, uh, and the things that you need to address in order to uh, get on track with your uh, with your schedule. And with yeah, your I, I guess the I guess the big thing, Jay, is uh, you know we've been aggressively uh, uh, brought these uh, projects on back online, and we're also uh, looking to expand production going into next year, and uh, you know developing some new mines. And um, of that 5.3 million loss during the quarter, uh, 5.1 million of that was uh, related to non-cash items. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the items was we had a, a debt facility that uh, expired June 30th, so we had issued some warrants so that uh, we had to expense those warrants, which was a financing cost of $2.4 million. Uh, we had some stock option expense of $0.7 million, and then we wrote off uh, an expiration property that we had dropped the option on of $0.4 million that we carried on the books. And then we also had heard um, had some uh, Australian currency, um, and the Australian dollar was still relatively weak at June 30th. It's strengthened since then. And so we had an uh, unrealized loss on the currency hedge of 0.6 million. That now is a, a gain. So, you know, of that 5.3 million loss, 5.1 million was non-cash. So, you know, the big thing for us as we move forward is we want to keep a nice clean balance sheet and, uh, you know, you don't want to get in a position where you're, you're doing a large write-down at any point in time. Well, absolutely, and and that uh, needs to be stressed also to listeners and people who may not be that familiar with gold mining. There's a large capital capital cost involved, so you have a lot of non-cash uh, costs on an ongoing basis as well. But uh, you've also uh, discussed, I think you've down, you've uh, lessened your guidance in terms of ounces of production this year from 100,000 ounces to 85,000 ounces. Could you explain uh, to our listeners why that is the case? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously our investors would be disappointed that we did uh, uh, drop our guidance, and it's the second time this year. Um, we uh, A large part of that drop in guidance was uh, 8,000 ounces uh, related to us deciding not to proceed with Tom's Gully mine. Um, at Tom's Gully, um, we were drilling that uh, earlier in the year. Uh, we've been developing it uh, since uh, February, and 
we were readying the mill for production. We're at the point where we're about to hire the full mill crews and production crews, and we had to make a decision, do we proceed this year or do we put it on hold? And I have to admit, as we were developing underground, um, we were getting some results that were very mixed and and actually a little concerning in that the grade was a lot more variable than we thought. Mm. And although we could have gone ahead with it, um, at this point in our evolution, we just thought it would be a very large risk uh, we felt it would be better to sit back, um, reevaluate what we've done, uh, resample some areas, um, uh, redo the resource, redo the reserve, the mine plan, and make sure that you know if we do start it in the future that you know we're going to make money. So that's why we've sort of said that we've put it on hold till mid next year. That gives us time to evaluate everything we've done and then make a decision moving forward. So mm. um, and then you know let's face it, if we've reduced guidance. Uh, for the second time, we don't want to do it again. Um, you know, we could have left the guidance, you know, let's say with uh, 92,000 ounces. Um, we felt just with the wet season coming up, um, you know, just in the event there's something we haven't forecast, we decided to be a little more conservative and make, make sure it's 85,000. So the wet season could cause some complications in, in mining and in production? Yeah, uh, normally what it does for us is, I mean, we're trying to mitigate that by doing some stripping ahead of time so we're stockpiling or so that if we are affected in the open pits that uh, we could still feed the mill. But you just never know, um, you know, for for those of the listeners who don't know, it's it's equivalent to hurricane season in the Gulf. Um, you do get cyclones or hurricanes. Uh, you do get monsoonal rains. <laughs> You're starting to see that sort of thing in uh, China and Pakistan now. Uh, we sort of get it from November to March. Most of the time, it's not too bad, but sometimes it can be pretty bad. Okay, well, you've uh, so that's a bit of a disappointment now. But it would, I guess, what you've done is re- has reduced your risk by putting that on hold for now, and you'll go back and revisit that later when you've had more time to study it. And uh, it's not saying that Tom's Gully won't be a producer in the future. It's just right now you've put it on hold. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, sometimes it's a, a little tougher making a, a decision like this, where you know it still shows some promise, but. You know, you don't need to uh, stub our toe on this one. So uh, we just decided it'd, it'd be better not to go ahead with it at this point in time. Now, you are starting up development on the Cosmo underground mine, though, are you not? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, I'll tell you, it's going to be a jewel of a mine. And uh, if anything, we're ahead of schedule on that. Uh, we started a month early. Uh, the development has gone very well. Uh, we're probably about 300 to 350 meters uh, um, into the uh, tunneling. Uh, the conditions look very good. I was in Australia last week, and it's going to be a nice underground mine. It'll be, you know, probably 2,000 tons a day uh, at at full. You know, for over the course of a year, it's going to supply about 100,000 ounces a year. Uh, good grades, very good cost. So it for us, it's the real crown jewel, the future of the mine. Um, it really sort of brings us up to a whole other other level when we have this developed. Uh, I would like to ask you if we've got time here about the upside exploration potential because that's one of the things that really excites me about your company. But in the meantime, I think Chen has a question perhaps. Do you have a question for Mike, Chen? Yes. Hi, Mike. Uh, Hi, Chen. Yeah, uh, the, uh, my, my question is um, uh, your funding situation. In the last quarter, you seem to have uh, like $20 million on the book. So you think you are fully funded uh, for, the, for this year? Um, what I would say, Chen, in that regard is uh, – uh, you know, there again, one of the reasons we shut down Tom's is that we felt that it could be a drain on on our cash. Uh, you know, we're trying to manage within our existing cash resources. I, I guess I wouldn't rule out, you know, any sort of future. You know, we may end up doing a small equity or or debt uh, 
deal you know later this year just to make sure that we have a, enough of a, a cushion um, but you know based on all our projections and and you know we'd like to see if we could uh, you know fund ourselves from internal cash flow as much as possible uh, Chen and I were talking a little before we went on the show and I think Chen you had another question with respect to uh, guidance for production going forward given the fact that uh, Tom's uh, gully is not in production now Exactly. Yeah, that's my second question. Yeah, no, and that's another good question. Uh, what what I would say right now is we're in the midst of our budgeting process. Um, we'll be uh, nailing down our forecast for next year. But I guess in broad terms, we were sort of looking at about a 200,000-ounce production rate next year. Um, if you said that Tom's didn't go ahead, you know, if you did that, uh, we know that, you know, as a bare minimum, it'll, it won't be going for six months, but it represented forty to 50,000 ounces of that production. So what I would say is, you know, Cosmo should be starting to supply ore come March and then be in full production June of next year. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, the production next year, and I'm, I'm going to be very vague here, is probably 135 to 160 ounces if you didn't include any production from Tom's. And if you did, it'd be approximately 155 to 180, somewhere in there. So uh, I, I know it's a little vague, but, you know, once we nail down the more detailed mine plans, we could come up with some more specific guidance. Well, that's very helpful. And, and Mike, I think you're, you're doing some things to get your costs down. Your costs were above your projected costs. And uh, uh, could you just maybe very briefly tell us uh, what you're doing to try to get your costs down? Yeah, and, and some of the key inputs for us, it, it's more related to um, the number of ounces we produce. So uh, the one big thing we want to do is is maximize the grade we send to the mill and also maximize throughput. Uh, the first two, the last few months that we've uh, shown production statistics, in June we did 174,000 tons, in uh, July we did 182. Uh, we have a capacity of 200,000 tons a month. We, we want to get up to 200,000. You're going to produce more ounces. Uh, your cost will drop. Uh, the other thing is we want to uh, uh, do what we can to get the grade. We've increased the stripping ratio in some of the pits to uncover more high grades so we could uh, increase that grade fed to the mill. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we're, we're looking at the cost side too. We, the guys at site have come up with some really good ideas. Uh, one of them is the amount, you know, the distance that we haul waste from the open pit to the waste dump. Uh, we've ended up, uh, we're getting a shorter waste haul with a new waste dump. That's going to help to reduce cost. Uh, the other thing is we're going to produce a little more from Brock, so that'll help spread that fixed cost over more tons. So we should lower the cost there. And there's a lot of you know really interesting uh, things we're working on, like you know total recycle water in the mill um, instead of uh, you know getting water from uh, you know wells. Uh, this way you uh, save on reagent cost and uh, on a water treatment cost we've uh, we've done some experimental work on a biological water treatment which is showing very good promise which will be a cheap way to treat water so um there's a number of things the guys are working on um you know now with uh, also Tom's not going ahead for the near future it's also allowing some of the resources we had allocated to Tom's to concentrate on some of these other areas All to right that's efficient. very good and unfortunately uh, Mike we're running out of time I just I want to ask you tell tell our listeners um your website uh, it's www.crockgold.com. Uh, I think uh, Ashley, our uh, investor relations manager, has some uh, new uh, pictures from the site that she'll be putting on uh, in over the next few weeks, so everybody will get a chance to see some of the, the new pictures. That's very good, and I might just mention to our listeners that, Cro that uh, Crocodile Gold is one company that I follow in my newsletter, and I'm excited about the exploration potential of this company. I'll be passing on exploration results. Mike, I'm sorry we don't have more time to talk to you today about those 
uh, your exploration program because in the longer run, to me, that's what's really exciting about your company. Folks, uh, thanks for, for listening. We're going to have to move on to a commercial break here, but don't go away. We've got Professor uh, Kotlikoff is going to be back with us to tell us uh, to talk more about the same things we talked about last week, but this week he's going to give us some hope and some opportunities to, uh, to protect ourselves and hopefully to affect policy changes in the United States to make things better or at least to avoid the difficulties that will otherwise lie ahead. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Professor Kotlikoff. Uh, thanks very much, Chen, for your questions and uh, for your support. And thanks uh, again to you, Jay. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.com. CA for further information. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by dasha capital is offering the world's first and only corporate stockpile of rare earth minerals giving investors the ability to participate in the physical ownership of these critical elements without the associated mining and execution risk rare earth elements are used in many industries from aerospace and automotive to high-tech and green tech Dasha Capital is listed on the TSX.V in Toronto under the symbol DAC and on the OTCQX in the U.S. under symbol DCHAF. Please visit www.dashacapital.com to learn more. That's D-A-C-H-A-Capital.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Human race, some kind of love and 
Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, last week we were fortunate to have Boston University professor, economics professor Lawrence Kotlikoff with us. He told us what many on this show, many people, guests on this show, as well as listeners of this show, already believe, and that is that the uh, fiscal situation in the United States government uh, is far worse than what we are being told. So while I believe that that is, that is true, I, I believe that is true, I have believed that's true, and I, uh, to have a person like Dr. Kotlikoff uh, with his stature say it, and say it so boldly, um, in fact, that the past two, the two administrations before the current one have uh, been fibbing to the American people about our fiscal situation, I think is quite remarkable. What we did not get into last week, and the reason I wanted to have Professor Kotlikoff back this week was to rehash, not only to rehash the problems, um, which are all too familiar with people in this, that listen to this show on a regular basis, perhaps, but to find out what some of the things we can do about them are. What can we do from a policy perspective? What can we do as individuals to protect ourselves against the carnage that may lie ahead of us uh, if changes are not made? Professor Kotlikoff uh, is professor of economics at Boston University. As I said, he's a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences and of the Econometric Society, a research associate in National Bureau of, Edu- of Economic Research, uh, and president of the Economic Security Planning, Inc. Professor Kotlikoff received his bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Pennsylvania in 1973 and his Ph.D. in economics from Harvard University in 1977. From 1977 through 1983, he served on the faculties of economics of the University of California, Los Angeles, and Yale University in 1981-82. Professor Kotlikoff was a senior economist with the President's Council of Economic Advisors. He has also served as a consultant to the IMF, the World Bank, the Harvard Institute for International Development, as well as other organizations. Professor Kotlikoff is also the author or co-author of 14 books and hundreds of professional journal articles. His most recent book is Jimmy Stewart is Dead, uh, Professor Kotlikoff, welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, it's great. It's a great pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you, and thank you so much for coming back. I know you're an extremely busy fellow, and uh, uh, for the sake of listeners who may not have heard you last week, uh, let's just, uh, or maybe have seen you on Bloomberg, and I have a hard time believing most of our listeners haven't seen you sometime or another, but uh, if you could, last week we talked a little bit about the work of the IMF and what they had to say about the U.S. fiscal situation, and you said buried in their report with some very revealing numbers. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about what the IMF was saying, uh, quietly saying perhaps, in their annual review of U.S. economic policy? Yeah, the, uh, nobody likes to deliver bad news, and uh, but the reality is that uh, governments and uh, <clears throat> international organizations have been misleading, if not lying, to the general public about the severity of long-term fiscal problems. And the IMF did a review, its annual review, of the U.S. fiscal condition. And 
they do some bland words in the summary, but if you dig deep into the into the report, you find that they're saying that there's a fiscal gap uh, that's enormous and would require essentially a doubling of all taxes in the country immediately and permanently. That's to say all FICA taxes, income taxes, personal income taxes, corporate income taxes, estate and gift taxes. Every tax would have to be doubled in order to cover this fiscal gap. And the fiscal gap is the difference in present value. We say is uh, we, we refer to the present value as the value in the present, the value right now, of all the future spending obligations, including paying for the official debt, servicing that debt, less all the revenues that's projected. So if you had all the money you're going to have to spend in the future, if you, know, if you could pay it off right now, and you had all the taxes you're going to collect in the future, and you had those right now in your pocket, you had the same value, the equivalent value, the difference is about $202 trillion. Mm. We have an enormous fiscal gap that's just miles larger than the unofficial debt. So what we've been doing has been focusing on the official debt, which is about $9 trillion bucks, and missing all the unofficial debt to cover Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, defense spending into the future, and other expenditures. And, um, and we're basically uh, screwed because we are in such a deep fiscal water here uh, that we need to fix things uh, immediately and permanently. Okay. Let me just try to put this in some kind of perspective because um, I think I might have mentioned last week my wife and I live in New York City. We have a fairly high state and, and city tax on top of the federal tax. You know, I think that we're looking at something approaching all in 50%, slightly less than that perhaps. Are you saying that we might have to double that tax, and in other words, pay maybe 90% of our income in taxes uh, in order to make this thing work? Well, you're probably not paying 50% on average. You're probably paying at the margin, maybe a marginal rate of 50%. But, you know, I bet, I bet yeah. uh, your average tax rate is probably around 25%, 30%. Okay. So we're talking about making that more like 50%, 60% mm-hmm. for you and every other American that would have to double unless we can get the spending under control that's, uh, has been rising at incredible rates over the last six decades, really, and is scheduled to continue to rise. So we can't really deal with this problem on the, on the uh, tax side. You can never raise taxes high enough to cover the kind of spending explosion that we've been engaged in. Uh, just as an example, Medicare benefits and Medicaid benefits per beneficiary have grown since 1970. The growth, the annual growth rate has been uh, three percentage points higher than the growth rate in per capita GDP. So this is, you know, adjusted for inflation. We're talking about Medicare and Medicaid benefit levels growing at 5% each year, year after year on average for 40 years versus the economy growing per capita on per capita terms growing at 2% per year. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take uh, anything more than a little high school algebra and understand that this is a prescription for bankruptcy. And we've set these levels of benefits so high, and we have 90, uh, 78 million baby boomers uh, arriving to collect these very high benefit levels that you you start to understand why our fiscal gap can, can be so large. When the baby boomers are fully retired in about 20 years, they're going to be receiving benefits per person that exceed per capita GDP. It will be about 110% of GDP. The total annual 
benefit payments for Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid out in the year like 2025 will be something in the order of about $4 trillion measured in today's dollars. So we have a big problem coming. You know, the demographics are very significant, even though we're going to be relatively young compared to other countries. Uh, we're still going to have enough people over 100 to fill up all of Washington, D.C. We're going to have enough people 85 and older to fill up Los Angeles uh, and uh, Chicago mm. and uh, Washington. So uh, a lot of very old people, and they're very expensive, the way we've mm. set things up. Yes, you wonder where the, uh, where the resources are going to come from to, to pay for that. Uh, I, I, you know, as a person who's not getting... You know, I'm not retired yet. I'm working full time. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not getting a lot of transfer payments from the government. So, from my perspective, my selfish perspective, I would like to see. I would like to see spending cut more than taxes increase to solve this problem. Um, but yet, when we look at our current economic situation, um, I mean, it's been the stimulus, the government spending, that seems to have breathed, at least temporarily, breathed some life back into the economy. Either of these situations, I mean, either of these remedies is going to be very, very difficult, especially at this point in time, given our current economic situation, is it not? Well, I think the best we can do, you know, a lot of the problem here uh, is psychological. We have the same buildings and people we had back in 2007. We're just not coordinating their, the use of these resources to produce output. And so, fundamentally, it's a coordination problem. It's not too little spending or too high a set of taxes. Uh, we've got demand-siders on one side uh, saying just spend more, and we've got supply-siders on the other side saying cut taxes, and neither of these prescriptions are really the right answer. We really need just to uh, psych up the economy and the public that America's back to work and is going to, uh, is going to succeed in the future. And this requires more than a pep talk. It requires changing some things are fundamentally broken. Our financial system is fundamentally broken. We've got it's fundamentally corrupt, and 2,000-page Dodd-Frank bill hasn't changed that at all. It hasn't really brought transparency and disclosure to the system. It's um, just really uh, added more bureaucrats and uh, hasn't changed anything fundamental. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my book, you know, I have this, I discuss how to fix the financial system as well as describe the mess that is our financial system and how we got into what, the trouble we got into. Uh, we can fix our tax system fundamentally, which is a, a, just a terrible uh, situation. Our, our tax system is just a disgrace. 17,000 pages of IRS code. You've got taxes within taxes within taxes in, that, in the personal income tax. Our Social Security system's got 2,728 rules that nobody could possibly understand without spending a lifetime studying the system and then calling the actuaries at Social Security to find out what the truth is. Mm-hmm. And then there's thousands of rules to, to, in their program operating manual system to explain those 2,728 rules. And then you've got a health care system that uh, you know, is very bureaucratic and is out of control with its spending. It's got no spending uh, caps. And we've just added another federal program, the, this health exchange program. So... We need to keep it simple, stupid. You know, we, we, need a, uh, we need to have a new party called the KISS Party. It's called Keep It Simple, Stupid. And there are simple, straightforward solutions that both Republicans and Democrats can agree to, I believe, that can take us forward. But we're not getting anywhere with this economics team because 
they're very political. They, the economists that go down to Washington turn instantly into politicians. And yeah. they, they offer the third best solution rather than the first best because immediately they say, well, this is not, the first best is not politically feasible. Well, this is like a, a heart surgeon saying to a patient who needs a heart, uh, you know, heart transplant, you know what, I understand it's going to cause you some pain and you may die, therefore I'm not going to do a heart surgery. I'm just going to put a Band-Aid uh, mm-hmm. and uh, hope for the best. All right. And well, it seems to me, though, Professor Kotlikoff, that in order to fix things, we have to see and understand the problem. You're outlining the problem. You're showing you know, very clearly that we're in deep doo-doo. We've got big problems. And yet, ever since Jimmy Carter's cardigan sweater speech, I've not seen any politician with the chutzpah to come out and tell the truth to the American people. I mean, is it going to happen? Well, if not, we're going to end up printing money out the wazoo because unless you really... You know, for example, with a tax system, we need an across-the-board consumption tax, tax everything that we consume, including uh, the imputed value, of uh, rental value of our homes if we live in mansions, and provide a, a demigrant, uh, a monthly check that everybody gets to make the program, the, the tax system, highly progressive. And that's a simple solution to your tax system. It's not 17,000 pages. It would give us the right incentives to work and save and would collect a good chunk, a lot more money than the current system is, and help the economy grow. Bingo. You've got a reform of the tax system. We need a, a health care system that gives everybody a basic plan. We don't have we don't need three different huge government bureaucracies. Everybody gets a voucher that's, that's predicated on how, uh, what they have with respect to pre-existing conditions. If you've di- got diabetes, you get a big voucher. If you're perfectly healthy, you get a small voucher. And you take that voucher, you buy a basic plan, we get a government panel of doctors to decide what's covered by the basic plan. If you want to get angioplasty at 98, you buy a supplemental policy, but the basic policy would be such that the total voucher expenditure would not exceed 10% of GDP mm-hmm. and forever. Mm-hmm. Now, right there, we would shave off about half of the fiscal gap of this country just by having that, uh, what I call, healthcare fix and I have a book called The Healthcare Fix that proposes this. Uh, and this is really a Medicare Part C, if you look at it. It's a Republican part of Medicare. And even though I'm not, a re- I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, uh, but you could have the Democrats say, hey, this is Medicare for all, and the Republicans say, yes, and it's our part of Medicare. Yeah. And Medicare Part C with a, with a cap and a panel is exactly what we need. And 10% of GDP is a lot to spend on healthcare. It's all of, it's what... Switzerland spends on all its health care. So, so tax system reform, so the health care reform, tomorrow I'm going to have an article on Bloomberg of how to fix Social Security, and uh, the Jimmy Stewart is dead describes how to fix the banking system. It doesn't take any, you know, I could describe those proposals too. They're, they're equally short. So you can have a postcard solution for our four major problems, plus uh, carbon tax for the environmental issues, and you're done. So in an afternoon, you can fix the entire mess that we've got in this country. And, if, you know, I was hoping that the president would be bold enough to come up with the right answer, but right away he, uh, he went with, with people that have basically uh, supervised the mess that we have and brought it and fostered it. Uh, not that the prior Republican administration was any better or the 
part of Democratic one, you know, this is a 60-year-old policy of taking from the young and giving to the old, running a, a massive Ponzi scheme and using Enron-type accounting to make sure that the major debts don't show up on the books. Mm. You mentioned a, a moment ago that we need to get back to work, and yet the system as we have it now seems to reward speculation, not work. I'll give you an example. One of uh, one person a few months ago called me up. He uh, had finished his uh, his pre med. Uh, actually, had gone through medical school, and you know had uh, a couple of very impressive Ivy League degrees. And uh, he wasn't practicing medicine. He was running a hedge fund, and his partner was a very impressive um, Ivy League uh, guy as well, a lawyer with a Yale law law degree, and, you know, they were not doing, well, he might have been doing partly what he was trained to do, but certainly the medical doctor was finding it far more uh, lucrative, uh, the fellow with the medical degree was finding it far more lucrative to run a hedge fund than he was, you know, doing what he was trained to do. It seems to me that just looking at it as a non-economist, as, uh, you know, here's a guy that's trained to help people in the medical profession, yet he's not doing it. What, how can we, you know, Wall Street seems to reward Speculation. I mean, the big money is being made right now. It's being siphoned off to the to the large investment banks. Are they? Not, is it not? Is, these guys are still doing quite well. It seems to me. Yeah, and they're a large part. They're they're selling us fraudulent securities that um, that aren't being disclosed, and we saw this. And because of that, uh, the financial system is incredibly fragile. Because if you think you're being sold snake oil, as soon as you get a whiff of that, you run for the exit. And so when Bear Stearns went from $57 a share to $2 within the course of a week, or when Lehman Brothers plunged its its value, it was a rumor that basically what they held in terms of assets weren't what they were saying, and their liabilities were much bigger, and they weren't marketing the market. And so without knowing whether or not it's true, the rumor is enough, because when you don't have disclosure, you can have financial runs in a second. And that's what we've resurrected, we maintain that system. So limited, limited purpose banking, which is what I'm proposing in my book, Jimmy Stewart is Dead, would take all this out of the system. We would have every financial intermediary that's incorporated operate strictly as a mutual fund company. And we have a single federal regulatory agency, not 120, that would oversee the full disclosure on the web in real time of all the securities that are being held by the mutual fund companies. And when I, when I say disclosure, I mean uh, verifying the inc- all the income statements, the employment statements, the uh, uh, getting independent raters who are not conflicted, getting uh, appraisals that are not from companies that are not conflicted, and making sure that there's a rule of law that we're not having snake oil being sold to us. And so once you have that, and once you have mutual funds, mutual funds can never fail because all the money comes on an equity basis. Uh, into the mutual fund. It's like 100% capital requirements. There's no mutual funds not borrowing from anybody. Mm-hmm. We put our money, and a third of our financial assets are held in mutual funds. Our retirement, whole retirement system is basically mutual funds. It's the 401k system. So we're very familiar as people, individuals with the mutual fund industry, and none of the major mutual fund companies failed. Fidel didn't fail. Ted Crefton didn't fail. Charles Schwab didn't fail. So we can run our financial system right through the mutual funds without any of this Wall Street profiting. We would have, rather than having 50% of the Harper class go off to Wall Street, they would actually do something useful. Mm-hmm. So we would take out all. The entire con job of Wall Street would disappear. And that's large part what's going on here. It's a, a um, 
people are front-running other other investors. They are selling securities that people don't understand. And uh, uh, this is this is like the the days of um, of uh, you know before the FDA came aboard and and helped us uh, have the rule of law with respect to sale of medications. Mm-hmm. The, the large oil. part of market where there's a yeah it's a sale of snake oil. Mm-hmm. And, well, uh, I was just I was just thinking, yeah. uh, Professor Kotlikoff, about you know you mentioned fifty seven dollars to two for Bear Stearns. There's somebody else on the other side of that trade that was making a heck of a lot of money. Problem. Uh, well, let's say stealing a heck of a lot of money. That, well, so I, and, and, and you know, well, part of the strategy. Started, uh, and and once you get yeah. into investing, I mean, I know for my part, I uh, recommended to my subscribers because I'm very bearish on this equity market that they hold. Um, a, a, a triple down on the financials right now. So it's very difficult. You sort of get into this, and it's difficult. I mean, how do we change? Um, it, it seems to me what you're saying is, you know, from a from an academic perspective, makes a lot of sense. But how do you put it into effect? Because if you're going to change the tax system, somebody gets hurt, and it may be good for the for the major number of people. But there's always special interests that seem to have more influence in Congress than, say, the average Joe Schmo has. This is the president's job to come. You know, if the president went up to a Camp David and put on a sweater, like Carter did, and you know, Carter came down the hill and uh, and and then announced some crazy policies. <laughs> but yeah, there are smart policies. So the president comes down with four or five postcards and says, "This is really what you know. We've done some temporary things, but this is what we really want to do." Whether we do it right now or in my second administration, this is really what we need to get done. And so let's start debating something that would actually work or have the fiscal commission or signal the fiscal commission is now going to meet that radical reform, simple reform, kisses, keep it simple, stupid solutions are what the country needs. And this is why there's so much anger and this is why the Tea Party has, uh, people have um, had such a voice here. Here's, you know, and they see a 2,000 page bill with instructions for bureaucracies to start making thousands of more rules, they realize that something is not all all well in uh, Denmark. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, indeed, and and the rules are so complicated, as you pointed out, we can't even understand them. It's impossible to comply with the laws because you can't understand them. The tax code yeah, is an example. I have, Just I have a company that makes that, that markets uh, personal financial planning software at esplanner.com. And uh, we have, I have to personally uh, uh, understand Social Security's provisions very, very carefully so that our software gets them right. And frankly, very simple questions like if I'm uh, 63 and my husband hasn't retired yet and I apply for my retirement benefit, does this mean that my spousal benefit will be reduced when, I, when he retires? Uh, okay, Lawrence, yes, you can you hold that, that thought? Time. I want to come back and ask you a little bit more about that. Well, if you have time, we have another 10 minutes or so with oh, you yeah, sure. on the Absolutely. other side of the break that we can talk about some of these things. Can you be with us? Sure. Stay with us? Absolutely. Okay, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with, uh, with Professor Kotlikoff. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. 
The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network welcome to the human race some kind of love and ride i'll be sliding down i'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Trending Hard Times into Good Times, the second hour of this week's show. And again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. It's only because you are tuning in and telling your friends that we are now the number one business show, a number one show on the business channel of Voice America. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsors during the second hour for making the show financially viable. They are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Solid and Gold Corp, Dasha Capital, Richfield Ventures, 
Athabasca Uranium, Brigus Gold Corp., Everton Resources, Millrock Resources, and Golden Hope Mines. Well, Professor Kotlikoff, before we uh, took a break, we were uh, talking about various ways to fix the system. You touched briefly on the tax system. You touched uh, uh, briefly on the health care system. And I know that if people want to know more about your uh, reforms, your proposed policy changes you think could help America get back on track, they can certainly... Uh, they can certainly buy your book and read it. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of details there beyond what we're able to talk about in the short period of time that we have. Uh, could you tell our listeners the name of your book that addresses these issues? Well, uh, Jimmy Stewart is dead. Uh, in the afterward, discusses how to fix taxes, health care, and the uh, retirement system. And, but most of the book is focused on my take on what happened, explaining clearly what happened, I think, in fun terms. So it's actually a fun read. And uh, also how to fix the financial system. And then I've got a book called The Healthcare Fix, which goes into some more detail about the healthcare system. Um, and uh, some, uh, I've got a book called Spend Till the End, which is more about personal finance and how to help yourself safely raise your living standard in these difficult times. So uh, there's uh, a number of things that are on. If you go to kotlikoff.net, you can, that's my website, you can see things I've written, keep up with what I'm doing. The, uh, on, the, on, the, uh, on the Social Security system, I, I think we should freeze Social Security uh, and give to everybody what we owe them as they go through retirement, but not let anybody accrue additional benefits under the existing system. And then we should have everyone be forced to contribute. We should also get rid of the 401k System. We should also freeze that in terms of any tax breaks uh, going forward, Roths, IRAs, that whole set of things, get rid of that, all that. We can't afford that kind of uh, uh, subsidization of um, uh, personal saving. It's just not really working in terms of our national saving rate right now is one less than 1%. So that whole wow. policy has not worked to raise national saving. It's just giving people money for uh, money they would otherwise have saved. Uh, so anyway, what I would suggest is everybody should be forced to put 8% of their salary, their labor earnings, into an individual account, a personal account, uh, after it's split 50-50 between a spouse or a legal partner so that if you have a non-working spouse, they're protected. And then the government makes ma- matching contributions into your account if you're poor or disabled or unemployed. And then all the, all the money is invested not by Wall Street but by... Uncle Sam in the global uh, uh, financial market in terms of a, a global index fund of stocks, bonds, and real estate securities, market-weighted. So it's just done by computer. It, it's done at very, very low cost. And Wall Street makes no money whatsoever from what I'm proposing. And then at retirement age, your asset balances are, first of all, they're guaranteed not to be less than what you put in adjusted for inflation. So the government will guarantee the downside. And then uh, they would be gradually transformed into inflation-protected annuities uh, in retirement so that, again, this would be done by the government on a cohort basis, and uh, Wall Street earns no money out of any of this. So it's a privatized system with uh, a lot of social uh, involvement, but very, you know, basically so uh, government computers, maybe one or two computers can run the entire system, and very progressive, and takes care of dependents. And bingo, you've got a modern social security system that doesn't actually that actually pay can cover its bills. Our current system is 26 percent underfunded. It's got a fiscal gap of its own, 
of $16 trillion bucks. That's going to be discussed uh, by me tomorrow in the Bloomberg, uh, in an op-ed in Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. So we've got a big problem there. And uh, Well, I'm, we I'm just thinking, uh, I, I'm thinking as you're talking about cutting Wall Street out of this activity, the Wall Street people, of course, are, are not going to like that. But I'm also thinking, again, of that young man who was a professor, or the young man who, was, uh, who had just finished his training to become a doctor and is a hedge fund manager now. Those kind of people might then be turned back into the system, and uh, that is into the economy, to, into the real economy, to do something worthwhile, possibly. Yeah, we have uh, so many people being, you know, wasting their lives as lawyers and accountants and, uh, and so much talent going to Wall Street. It's just a waste of resources. Yeah. We yeah. need that talent uh, to be put in, in socially useful ways, not to try and uh, have one group of people rip off other groups of people. That's really what Wall Street is. It's fundamentally a zero-sum game, mm-hmm. and it's time for that game to end. We, uh, speaking of Wall Street, then, if you could just take a minute or two in the financial reform, what, what, would, what kind of real reform? And we've had some bill that was dubbed a financial reform, but what would you do to, to create real financial reform? Well, um, as I kind of indicated, I would uh, ban all the existing banking practices and turn every financial company, bank, insurance company, hedge fund, into a mutual fund company mm-hmm. and, and run all the intermediation through mutual funds so that mutual funds can't, almost by definition, fail. So we'll never have a banking crisis again, mm-hmm. and we'll never have a recession triggered by a banking crisis again. And people will actually, because we'd have a single federal agency that does disclosure and verification and rating, uh, or overseas rating, we'd have uh, uh, securities that we can actually trust, we can actually inspect on the web. So the idea is that there would no no longer be proprietary information, because that's a... Uh, a term that's uh, used to hide fraud. So Wall Street is hiding behind pr- proprietary information in order to produce fraudulent securities. That's what we learned. They produced trillions of dollars of fraudulent securities running up to the crash in 2008, and they're going to continue to do that. And this is where they're making a lot of money, that plus front-running. What's going to stop them? Uh, well, I think of enough of your listeners, uh, people like you know the president, or whether it's this president or somebody like Paul Ryan, who's got some very progressive ideas. Somebody uh, who is willing to sit, stand up, and say, "This is it. Five postcards. Here they are. This is what we need." Listen, if there's somebody rich who's listening to your, uh, who wants to stake me, I'll run for president. Uh, well, that's uh, I'm, I'm a poor uh, academic, but otherwise, I'd love to run for president. And believe me, I'd love to debate the president on this stuff and and just persuade him to do it. And because uh, I love the president, I think you know I voted for him. I think he's our best hope, but he's gotten very bad economic advice. It's time for him to fire McClellan. You just wonder once someone is elected, whether to what extent they are their own person and they still have the power to make changes, or whether there's somebody behind the throne that are pulling the strings. Well, you know, it's, we've had major changes in this country historically, we, uh, and uh, the question is whether we're going to get get there quickly and quick enough to save the system in time. Okay, I want to ask you uh, about your. You have some software that's available to people uh, that they can sort of figure out, gauge how much they should spend, how they should plan their retirements, how they should plan their budgets, and so forth. Could you tell our listeners something about that? Yeah, uh, if you go to esplanner.com, it stands for Economic Security Planner, E-S-P-L-A-N-N-E-R. Uh, you, you'll find uh, 
our software, which we market to the public. The basic program is $149. We also have a, a version that we provide for free to the public that's much more simplified at esplanner.com basic. If you go to my website, kotlikoff.net, you'll, you'll find links to uh, ES Planner. And this uh, software has been ranked number one by Money Magazine. It's been reviewed, you know, I have 100 press articles by New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you name it, Business Week. It's viewed as the top software out there. And what it does is it figures out in the two seconds how much you can spend so that your living standard will not fall through time but stay stable per person. And then it figures, helps you figure out safe ways to raise your living standard, like helping you figure out when to take Social Security, uh, how to get free spousal benefits from Social Security, whether to repay and reapply for higher Social Security benefits, whether to use a Roth versus a regular IRA, whether to convert your Roth, uh, whether to take points when you refinance your home. All these things come down to what are they going to do to my living standard. This software is a living standard machine. It calculates your living standard, so it can, can help you figure out safe ways to raise your living standard. So you don't have to necessarily depend on, on the investment returns to get your living standard to, to go up. I, I did a, I'm, I read a column for Forbes in the personal finance section, and uh, uh, I, I read a column on, on resurrecting your ret- retirement right after the crash. I was asking, uh, take a middle-class couple that's 60 and has lost half their wealth mm-hmm. in the financial system, their, their financial wealth. What can they do? And I pointed out five or six things based on our software and showed a case study that where this household uh, was able to regain half of their losses just by making uh, smart moves with respect to these other issues, like when to start withdrawing your retirement account monies and which one to start withdrawing first. Well, There's that's a lot a, of interactions. You can make a lot of money off of Uncle Sam if you know how to, um, to and the software lets you figure, take Uncle Sam's best deal. Uncle Sam's giving us a menu of of options here, when we should pay tax, when we want to pay taxes, and when, when we want to take Social Security benefits, and which benefits to take at what point. And, uh, uh, you know, people need to get this stuff right. Oh. Well, and how would you know? Uh, how would the average person know without something like that? I think it, it makes an awful lot of sense, uh, Professor Kotlikoff. I, certainly something I want to spend some time when I can find the time to, to come up to speed on that. And several of your books, too, that are very interesting. And I know that you're a prolific writer. You write... Uh, in, in a lot of journals, I was reading uh, just uh, something you had written uh, recently in The Economist magazine, I think last week or a day or two ago, and very interesting commentary there as well about the economy and, and what's going to happen to us if we keep printing money and, and not making the kind of reforms you're suggesting, but in fact continue to uh, quantitative easing, I guess, is the buzzword. I think we're going to have, we're gonna have very high inflation, so I would be very careful about buying any long-term nominal bond. You know, tips, inflation index bonds, uh, that the tre- treasury sells, uh, I think they're relatively a good good investment if you buy them within a retirement account. Uh, you can short the uh, long-term treasury, nominal treasury bonds safely by buying a TBT fund, uh, mm-hmm. I believe it's a mutual fund, so I hold some of that. Mm-hmm. And clearly commodities, including gold, are things to hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have, I can't say for sure that inflation will take off. I've been predicting this for quite a while now and lost a lot of money in the process. Uh, but this country doesn't look like, you know, we're in bad shape here, mm-hmm. uh, fiscally speaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, the IMF is saying it. The Congressional Budget Office is saying it. Anybody who looks seriously at it is saying it. The politicians aren't saying it for good reason. 
Well, let me ask you, you, you mentioned tips. Uh, how much confidence do you have in the government's uh, CPI numbers? Well, I gauge inflation by uh, what, I, what I have to pay to buy my son a, a single-dip ice cream cone. Uh-huh. And, gee, inflation seems to be a lot higher than they're reporting, but I do think the BLS is, uh, is doing a good job, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and the economists who've looked at what they're doing are very good ones, like Michael Boskin, who... Uh, was, uh, there was a Boston Commission to look at how the CBO, uh, BLS was measuring inflation. So I think it's probably a pretty reliable measure, to tell you the truth. I think it's probably as good as we can do. Well, I, I thank you uh, very much, Professor Kotlikoff. You have so much more uh, we could talk about. Uh, there's many, many things. Perhaps we can have you on again sometime in the not-too-distant future. I want to I wanna first, though, do a little bit of homework on my part so I can ask you some better some better questions and, and take more full advantage of all the things you have to offer. So I want to thank you very much for being with us again. Uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back in just a couple of minutes as soon as we take a break here with uh, Richfield Ventures. Uh, two uh, people, members of the management team from Richfield Ventures will be with us. It's a company that looks to me like they're on to the discovery of a multi-million ounce deposit, an open pitable deposit in British Columbia, a million ounces of gold I'm talking about. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Richfield Ventures. markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.com. CA for further information. Solidin Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year highlighting a very positive and economical project and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidin.com to learn more. 
Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, as regular listeners to this show know, I have been extremely bullish on gold mining shares, calling them the buy of a lifetime. I say that because of the extraordinary increase in the real price of gold, especially since the credit crisis erupted in 2008 with the Lehman Brothers collapse. Gold will now buy nearly three times more of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund than it bought before 2008 September. So with gold rising compared to energy costs and material costs, and in some cases relative to labor, we are starting to see some very strong profits coming from the larger gold mining companies in the first quarter and second quarter of 2010. Eventually, capital flows from the gold producers, the big guys, down the food chain to the companies that are best at finding gold in the ground because the big guys aren't particularly good at that. They have a hard time replenishing the reserves that they uh, deplete each year. Well, one junior gold mining company that looks like it could be on to a very significant gold discovery, a a deposit uh, in British Columbia known as the Blackwater property, is Richfield Ventures. Richfield Ventures Corp., which is a sponsor to this show, uh, is shares trade on the Toronto Venture under the symbol RVC and in the over-the-counter market in the U.S. under RCVTF. There's approximately 27.2 million shares outstanding. The last I looked, the stock was selling at about a dollar sixty in Canadian, a dollar fifty-six or so in U.S. money. Got a market cap of around 42, 43 million dollars. And its website, uh, I want to tell you that right away so you can look into it uh, as you find this conversation. I think you're going to find it very interesting. Uh, RichfieldVentures.com, RichfieldVentures.com. So to tell us a little bit more about Richfield, I have with me Peter Berner. He's the founder and president of the company, and the company's chief geologist, Dr. Dirk Templeton-Klute. Mr. Berner has more than 30 years' experience in mining, exploration, and project management. And Mr. Berner has led the selection and acquisition of Richfield's current mineral properties. Dr. Templeton-Klute is a highly respected research geologist who, before joining Richfield, was director 
of the Cordillian uh, Division of the Geological Survey of Canada. In his outstanding career, he has worked extensively in the Yukon, the British Columbia, uh, and in British Columbia for more than 40 years. He's mapped the geology of much of southern Yukon. He was acting director of the Bedford Institute of Oceanography in Halifax and director of geoscience for Indian and Northern Affairs Canada in Whitehorse. He was awarded the Past President's Medal of Geological Association of Canada for his strong contribution to the advancement of science in Canada. Welcome, gentlemen, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, good morning, good morning Jay. Jay. Thanks for having us on the show. Well, it's I- great to have Great to have you with us, and I'm I'm really excited about about your company. Uh, as you know, I have recommended your company to my subscribers, so uh, a lot of what you're going to tell me I've I've already heard. But for the sake of our listeners, we want them to hear your story. I believe your primary focus is your flagship property, uh, as it were, uh, the Blackwater uh, Gold property, uh, Gold Project in British Columbia, and that you are currently earning a 75% interest in the property uh, from SilverQuest Resources. Is that right? Uh, yes, the 75% interest in the north half of the property from SilverQuest Resources, but we have earned that 75% interest already, and we have 100% interest earned in on the south half of the property. Um, the, there's a property boundary that dissects uh, the, the deposit right down the middle. Okay. Uh, so the the work that's been done so far on this property, and we want to get into that in a minute, has that been done on both sides of that line or more more to the north? Uh, the work that's been done has uh, primarily been focused on north because nobody was able to make a deal on the south half of the property. Um, we have done that, and our last uh, news release that we put out um, was drilling on the south half where we have found um, a, a different grades or better holes actually coming from the south side of the property. Um, the last the holes we released were like hole 64 at 260 meters of 1.57 grams per ton. Mm. But then that was 52 meters at 3.8 grams per ton. And also in the south half on 100% on ground was hole number 68 with 168 meters of 1.82 grams per ton gold. And within that was 87 meters of 3 grams per ton. So our focus now is drilling around uh, those areas. We're starting to grid drill those areas to try and delineate a 43-101 resource estimate. Okay. Well, those are definitely some, some pretty, pretty interesting numbers. And are they from surface or near surface, Peter? Yes, they're right from bedrock. Uh, as soon as we get through the overburden, which is anywhere from 5 meters to 30 meters thick, um, the gold, the mineralization is right from uh, bedrock down. Okay, now, a lot of work has been done in the past, um, as you say, more to the north part of this property. How much work has been done? How many holes have been drilled into that target so far? I'll let Dirk answer that. Sure, Dirk. Jay, altogether, there are now uh, 75 holes on the property, Uh uh, diamond drill holes, and there are 36 RC holes that were drilled earlier uh, before we came on the scene. The... the, uh, the bulk of the 76 holes that have been drilled, the diamond drill holes, have been drilled on the north side of the property boundary. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just estimating, but uh, uh, it would be something like 65 on the north side and uh, 10 or 11 on the south side. Okay. But the, uh, the success we've been having to the south side lately has uh, uh, encouraged us to focus there for the time being. 
um, and uh, the result that Peter just quoted you are from drilling on the south side of the property. By the way, Jay, you mentioned that the website is richfieldventures.com. Uh-huh. It's actually dot .ca. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad you pointed that out. Well, we'll we'll let you yeah we'll we'll go over that again at the end of the uh at the end of the discussion here but i thank you for that because i guess that wouldn't work too well would it thank you for that peter um or uh, or dr templeton um let, let me just um so we're okay so most of those holes that uh, peter just talked about are from the south how i think we've had we don't have a 43101 resource yet but i guess you're working on that now are you or or not Yes, we are working on a 43101 resource. We have um, somebody um, hired on to uh, delineate that resource for us. We expect to have it out uh, sometime early next year. Okay. Uh, and will that probably, that will come mostly from the north where most of the drill holes have been put down, I suppose? No, uh, we're drilling. It's going to take, a, we just put a second drill in the property last week, so we'll be able to... Um, put the north half and the south half together and delineate a resource from the drilling on both sides. Excellent. That's that's really good. Um, I believe that uh, there was a firm that put out some sort of or estimated a potential of four, a little over four million ounces. Of, I realize this is, you know, based on, on uh, rather scampy uh, data at this point in time, uh, perhaps, or certainly not what's required by 43101 standards. But uh, there was something like a little over 4 million ounces, I think, were projected by some, some firm that looked at your property. Uh, was that primarily from the north, or did that extend and project into the south side, uh, your 100% owned land? Um, it projected into the south side somewhat. Um, it has to project into the south, obviously, because of the, where the boundary is in the property. But we have to remember these holes are very far apart. The deposit right now, as we see it, is about 900 meters by 600 meters, mm -hmm. and it's open in all directions and at depth. So um, I guess Dirk can talk more about the, the, the potential size of this, but we have to remember this is potential. We don't have a 43-101 out yet. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's well to point that out because these are potential numbers and uh, and so, Dirk, if you want to go ahead and talk about the 900 by 600 um, dimensions, is that more or less where this uh, this four point million ounce resource was calculated, or let's say preliminary potential resource was calculated? Yeah, yes, it was, Jay. I think the way you can think of this is as, as a cone-shaped uh, area right now, about 900 meters, as Peter said, east-west by about 600 meters north-south. Um, and it's, it's that area that uh, uh, the, uh, the number came from, the estimate came from, or the guess came from. It's a really a back-of-the-envelope calculation. There's nothing rigorous about it. Um, and the property boundary that we've been talking about kind of bisects that, that cone of material uh, in half in an east-west direction. The, uh, the volume of that cone uh, of mineralized material is is uh, perhaps 50 million cubic meters, and uh, the the kinds of grades we're getting, and and people can uh, take a look at the website. We put all the strip logs for all the holes that we've done up there, so so people who are interested can follow that hole by hole if they want. But the kinds of averages that uh, we uh, that were estimated by by the uh, 
the company that reported the number is is on the order of a gram. Uh huh. That, that's that's the kind of grade that was estimated uh, with the with the uh, the estimate that was put out. And mm-hmm. I would say it was by us. It's a non-rigorous estimate. It's preliminary, but it is open at depth. Uh, that 50 million cubic meters that is in that bulk material is uh, is basically open pitable. It's right at, it starts right at the surface. As Peter mentioned, the slip ratio would be very low. Uh, we're 150 kilometers to the west of Quinell or Williams Lake. Uh, we drive to the property. It takes about two and a half hours from Vanderhoof and three and a half hours from Prince George, which is in, which is in central BC. It's a low uh, plateau kind of terrain at about 1,500 meter elevation, uh, gently sloping. It's far away from uh, uh, lakes and uh, rivers and things like that. Uh, it's in beetle kill country. Uh, that's, that's to say that the pine trees have all been killed by beetles there. So uh, there's a lot, lot of new exposures being generated, new access being generated. And the province is quite interested in having uh, things progress there economically because of the uh, because the logging industry has been hit so hard. So that's a kind of a general story. Well, that's a very important thing, and I might just mention to our listeners uh, the significance of some of that uh, for the listeners that might not be all that interest, all that uh, familiar with mining stocks and the economics. We're talking low stripping ratio, folks, which means uh, you know potentially low stripping ratio, which means low mining costs. That means you're not moving a lot of waste rock relative to gold bearing rock. Uh, some of the things that Peter mentioned, infrastructure, very very important. Looking forward in early stages when you invest in these companies, if you don't have infrastructure issues. It means that the ounces in the ground can be worth an awful lot more than if you have to build costly infrastructure and environmental issues, as Peter was mentioning, uh, some of those factors, too. I think those are all factors that look very positive for the company long time again, uh, going forward into the future. Again, I, I just want to highlight that w- this is an early, relatively early stage, although a lot of work's been done and there's a lot more, uh, a lot more that can be seen from this company, uh, from this project at an early stage and with many others, I think, given the fact that it's near surface and all of that. Well, I'd like to ask either of you gentlemen with respect to the current dimensions then uh, and going south, what do you know about the potential strike length of this deposit? Uh, do, you ha- do you have a sense of how large it might be? Well, as we had already mentioned, we figure right now it's 900 meters by 600 meters, and it's open in all directions, Jay. Yeah. Um, we have a brand-new uh, IP anomaly that's never been tested. Okay. It's a large new chargeability that uh, we're going to start focusing on uh, pretty soon. And if if this chargeability um, becomes real and we get some mineralization down there, it'll stretch it another 600 meters to the south. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you go ahead, Dirk. Were you saying something? Uh, one thing I I think needs to be stressed, Jay, is that altogether on this property there are only about 15 kilometers worth of drilling. 15,000 meters of drilling has been done. Uh-huh. Uh huh. To, de- to define one of these animals, if, they're, if it's really as big as uh, we're thinking right now, will require something like 150 or even 200 kilometers of drilling. So we're really only just begun to scratch the surface here with the drilling, and already we're having these uh, quite encouraging results uh, that, that Peter mentioned some of the numbers on. Yeah, and again, I would just mention that uh, another uh, credible private firm 
uh, came up with a preliminary uh, preliminary guesstimate of, of over four million ounces uh, with, at this early stage. So that's what Scott has me excited about it. I, I think that the you know the upside for these kinds of companies, these little small cap companies, and I mentioned the market cap is very low here, is extraordinary with success. Now people need to realize that come with the enormous upside potential also. With the huge upside potential also comes some risk, and we don't want to underplay that. But at the same time, you know, um, the regulatory regime sort of let the companies tell you what could go wrong and not what could go right. And what we try to do on this show is to present both sides of the story. So with respect to risk, let me just ask either of you gentlemen, what do you think is the, the biggest risk that investors face right now if they, uh, if they buy your shares? Um. Uh, commodity prices, uh, gold price not staying uh, stable is really the only risk that we can see. Um, as long as the gold price stays up, I think people have a great, um, there, there's great potential to, to, into buying our stock right now. Mm-hmm. As long as the gold price stays up and the economy stays strong, um, it's, it's a great investment. We're, we're on to something that could be just the, the biggest discovery in Canada right now. It's got that potential. I would think, uh, talk, uh, looking at the uh, dimensions that uh, Dirk just just talked about, um, what about um, in British Columbia now? You've you've got a pretty pretty positive government. There has been times in the past when the BC government was not all that favorable to mining, but that's changed a lot. And Dirk, I think you mentioned the beetle problem, uh, stripping the forestry, and that's one of the reasons I guess maybe they they'd like to see some mining jobs come back to British Columbia. Yes, that's that's uh, exactly right, Jay. Um, it's uh, because the, because the logging industry has been hit hard. The uh, provincial government is quite keen to uh, to encourage activity, economic activity, so that there will be jobs. And so we are getting some uh, financial support from the provincial government that way. The other thing that uh, you might, your listeners might be interested in, we're p- permitted for. Uh, this, for the work we want to do for the next two and a half years. And the other thing that is interesting about the Canadian Cordillera at this stage in, in terms of gold is in the last two years there have been three brand new uh, gold deposits discovered uh, that look significant, uh, including ours and uh, the one, the one, and two in the Yukon. Uh, three different types of deposits that, that were never known before to, to occur in, in the Canadian Cordillera. So it opens up this area for, uh, A, a lot more uh, regional work, uh, looking for more of these things, but also makes the, uh, the entire area a lot more attractive. Okay. Uh, I also want to just ask you, uh, with respect to funding, uh, Pete, do you have money in the bank to fund your existing program, your existing exploration program? Our existing program is uh, fully funded right now. We have over $3 million in the bank. Um, going into uh, next year, uh, we're going to uh, expand on the program and obviously um, uh, go to the table sometime, uh, you know, possibly November or uh, early next year. Okay. Uh, well, of course, uh, with some good results, uh, no doubt the share price rises, and we're always concerned about dilution, of course, as shareholders. So uh, you have money in the bank at least to, to explore and develop and hopefully build some wealth in the ground uh, with the current drill program. How uh, Will we be seeing some drill results coming out on a fairly consistent basis here? Now that we have two drills turning, uh, we should be able to get news out every three weeks. 
Uh, the next uh, results, we expect to have them uh, closer to the end of this month. We're going to release another five holes. Uh, right now, we've got uh, 28 million shares out. Uh, we're 30% held by institutions and over 10% held by insiders. Um, I've actually mortgaged my house to invest in this company. That's how much I believe in it. You know, I, I like to hear that, uh, not that you mortgage your house necessarily, but that insiders are big believers in their company and that they have some skin in the game because that means your interest is the interest of the shareholders. So I'm always very, uh, I, I like to hear that, uh, that that's the case. Uh, with respect, let me just one more question before we let you two gentlemen go. Uh, with respect to your plan, the business, the business plan of the company, you are an exploration company. You have no intention at this stage at least of becoming a producer, right? No, uh, we're an expert. We're both on the ground level. We've been on the ground all our lives. This is Dirk and I's first uh, kick at a public company. Our CFO, Susan Bond, and myself and Dirk have taken this company from 12 cents last year um, in June to over a dollar now, and, and we've been very, very fortunate. And, and you know we're we're lucky to have done what we've done, but we'd like to prove up some ounces, get a 43-101 out there, and uh, let a major take us out and uh, produce gold there, hopefully. Okay, one more time then before we say goodbye for this time, and we hope to be talking to you too later uh, sometime in a few weeks down the road for a progress report. But before we say goodbye, once again, uh, Dirk, could you tell our listeners what your website is again just so they're able to follow your progress? Sure, I'd be happy to, Jay. It's, it's Richfield Ventures, all one word, richfieldventures.ca.ca. Uh, and uh, much of what we've talked about here is, uh, is on view there, including all the drill results from the work we did last year and this year, uh, including maps of where the holes are and that sort of thing. Uh, there's a link to corebox.net where these results are displayed in a three-dimensional model that people can look at and uh, turn the grades on and off. Uh, so those are the two. Uh, that's the website to go to, richfieldventures.ca. Well, fantastic. Thank you, Peter and Dirk, for being with us today. Uh, as a company recommended in my newsletter and on behalf of my listeners of this show, I'm going to be looking very carefully and watching your press releases, keeping track of of what you're up to, because I do find this to be a very exciting uh, company with, with considerable upside, even from this, uh, even though we didn't get in at 12 cents, I wished we had. Nonetheless, uh, I, I think uh, given the potential, it still would seem to have a great deal of upside. So uh, thank you very much, both of you, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with the wrap-up on today's show. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. 
Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Mill Rock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Mill Rock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm alone today for the wrap-up of today's show. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, the uh, views of uh, Professor Kotlikoff. I must say that uh, in many ways, he and I are probably not on the same page. I am more of an Austrian uh, economic thinker. I, uh, I am uh, probably closer to the ideas of Ron Paul than uh, Congressman Ryan, uh, although I don't know Congressman Ryan. I may uh, seek to get him on the show sometime. What we are interested in doing is pursuing the truth. Let's find out what really is true, not the propaganda that we're given every day uh, in the mainstream media. As, um, uh, as Dmitry Orlov told us some some numbers of weeks ago, and, and by the way, Dimitri will be with us again. Uh, he talked about the propaganda machine in the United States being far superior to anything that the Soviet Union ever had. He, he noted that the people in the Soviet Union always knew that it was the government lying to them. 
Well, I think more people like Professor Kotlikoff coming out and talking about, in bold terms, the government lying is a service to Americans because I think we need to wake up. And I think as times get more difficult in the economy, people are going to start to ask questions. And, uh, and I think that uh, the, the views of, of people like Professor Kotlikoff will resonate with the American people. Certainly the views of Ron Paul have been, uh, have been resonating with the American people. The Tea, the, uh, the tea Party uh, group is, is certainly um, a sign of unrest and unhappiness on the part of the American people who know that something is wrong, something terribly wrong is, is going on here. Uh, the injustices of the economic system are clear. Uh, government is is essentially getting involved and reallocating resources according to its own interest, the interest of the people that buy them off and and get them elected. So we have a lot of a lot of things to talk about. But in the end, what we want to know, what we really want to focus on, is what is the truth. So I'm interested in pursuing uh, ideas from not necessarily the things I may believe in. But maybe I can learn some things from the Professor Kotlikoffs of this world. Uh, maybe uh, Congressman Ryan, if we can get him on the show, will have some interesting things and some some truthful things and some good ideas also to contribute. Then we want to uh, pass those ideas around and think about them, and uh, you know, for our own sake, for our own benefit, and, and first and foremost, what we're trying to do on this show is to help each of us, uh, each of you, uh, figure out how to best protect ourselves and our families because. Let's face it, we can't really uh, depend much on the government. As a matter of fact, I would say that's what our problem is. We've been depending far too much on the government and not enough on ourselves. And uh, looking to Uncle Sam uh, to, uh, or Uncle Ben, maybe is more appropriate to say Uncle Ben Bernanke, to bail us out. Um, well, certainly average folks aren't looking for the bailout as much as it seems these days Wall Street is uh, looking for a bailout. So Professor Kotlikoff had a lot of good, uh, he certainly has diagnosed a big part of the problem correctly in my view. Not sure that I agree with his solutions or all of his solutions. But uh, on a personal point of view, I want to examine his, uh, the software that he talked about to try to determine whether there might not be some really good ideas about planning my own, uh, my, my own personal um, spending habits, my own uh, budget, and so forth. And, and I think there could be some really good, interesting uh, ideas and, and helpful life-saving and uh, financial, financially rewarding ideas there. So uh, we, we will go back and talk uh, perhaps to Professor Kotlikoff in the future. Um, we are, I'd like to bring up with respect to this issue of protecting ourselves in the market. Today we saw the Dow Jones lose nearly 134 points. Uh, it is, I think, heading down. I think the Dow Jones is heading down significantly. That's my view. But I say that on the basis of a lot of other people that I read, uh, not the least of which is Dr. Robert McHugh. Dr. McHugh was on our show last week, and I expect we will have him on uh, from time to time on this show. But uh, Dr. McHugh no announced that we do now have an official Hindenburg omen, and he talked a little bit about that, what that Hindenburg omen is in last week's show. But essentially, when you get a Hindenburg omen, it uh, suggests um, a probability of 30% of a stock market crash over the next, I think, over the next 30 days or, or something like that. Uh, it is very significant. Um, we, we have not had a, a stock market crash in the last several decades without a Hindenburg omen. So uh, it's not saying it couldn't happen without one, but we do have one now, and it's in effect. Uh, and it has a lot to do with uh, the numbers of new highs and new lows that occur 
concurrently. Uh, the theory being that uh, if you have a direction, uh, if you have a directionless market, a um, a bipolar market, if you want to put it that way, then it's not a very stable market. When you have all uh, large numbers of new highs and very low number of new lows, or vice versa, it means you're coming to a point where you're going to either hit a top or a bottom, or as long as the high, new highs keep coming, you're in a bull market. Well, we're seeing the opposite of that. We're seeing the conditions are ripe for a uh, a major de- a major decline. And last week when I talked to uh, Dr. McHugh, he suggested the chances were at least 50% of what he calls a cataclysmic, nation-changing stock market decline. And, you know, he's talking about an eventual decline in the equity markets of between zero and 1,000 in the Dow. That sounds awfully, awfully crazy, I must admit. Uh, but if you look at what's happening around the world and listen to establishment people like Professor Kotlikoff, who is warning us that we are in big, big trouble, uh, you know, I don't think I think it's foolhardy not to pay attention to people like Dr. Robert McHugh. So let's hope and pray for something better than McHugh is talking about. But at the same time, let's prepare uh, as best we can for the for the difficult times that may very well lie ahead of us. And according to Dr. Kotlikoff, most certainly will if we don't change our ways. Well, I'd just like to tell you, for whatever it's worth, uh, my own um, my own IRA allocation, just to give you an idea of what I'm thinking, I've got uh, 38% in gold stocks, uh, 13% in gold and silver bullion, 24% in short market strategies, uh, 22% in cash, actually more in cash because I sold some things today. So basically I'm in a, in a very um, bearish position and uh, hope to, do, uh, to survive this decline with a lot of cash so we can buy up gold shares. I'm extremely bullish on gold shares, but I think gold shares could get hit very hard as well. Uh, in the uh, in the uh, with the decline in the equity markets, um, that's just about all the time I've got. I, I see I've got one minute left. I wanted to mention also my inflation deflation watch, <clears throat> which is something that I talk about every week in my newsletter, and you can get uh, you can get a, a low cost sample copy or a low cost uh, subscription to my newsletter by calling Claudio Bossi. Uh, at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. But I just want to mention that my inflation deflation watch is also signaling a very decline, a very very strong bear market, and that we are on the verge, I think, of a very severe equity market decline. Uh, that's all the time we have for now. I do want to mention next week's guest. Uh, next week we are going to have uh, Professor Folsom. Uh, Professor Folsom uh, <clears throat> has written a book called uh, New Deal or Raw Deal, and he's going to talk to us about uh, FDR's policies and the policies that are, are going into, that have been put into effect by our current president, uh, Barack Obama. Well, that's all the time we have for now. Until next week, uh, goodbye and God's blessings to you. again for listening to turning hard times into good times with jay taylor please join us again next tuesday at noon pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america business channel now the thing about time is that time isn't really real